The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Children, go to Children's Church, but if you uh, want to just remain standing, actually, you can be seated. Um, no, you know what? Stand up. No, I'm joking. Just, you know, just do what you want to do today. No, don't do that. <laughs> I'd be afraid of what that might look like. Uh, Mark chapter number 10. It's good to see you out this morning and uh, pray that God's word will strengthen us together today. I taught Mark 10 over uh, seven weeks uh, during the Lenten season uh, down at St. James on Wednesday nights. Uh, my my uh, approach uh, now to Mark 10 is going to be two sermons uh, this week and next week. If you want the fuller exposition of this chapter, I can uh, print off those, those lectures. They're kind of in rough form, so don't expect a lot of good, you know, sentence structure, et cetera, et cetera. But I think they're readable. They're just readable. Let's put it that way. Um, Mark chapter number 10. I want you to look with me at, uh, to begin at verse number 32, as Jesus and his disciples are on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will, he will rise. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my uh, Redeemer. Well, we have been encouraging you for some time now uh, during the scripture readings to have your Bibles open during the sermon to have your Bibles open. Um, Again, I think it's an important practice for the church to have the Word of God in front of them and and, uh, I think just by way of reminder uh, to continue to encourage that. Do you know, if I were in the church that first received this letter and I were to read uh, this discipleship manual that Mark has written, uh, I believe that one of the things that would have really stood out to me would be the, uh, the surrender of Jesus, the consecration of Jesus to complete the work that his father had given uh, him to do. Uh, people who are committed to a task, people who are truly consecrated to a cause um, impress me. And I've known people who are just so very diligent. And I often get frustrated at myself because I see how I often lack that diligence, that, that ability to stay focused and stick to something, you know. Um, and so I think this idea of surrender and consecration um, would have made an impression on me and does make an impression on me as I read Mark's gospel. You know, often uh, we make an appeal to faith in Jesus based 
on his love for us. And certainly that is, that is good and right. We need to do that. But I don't believe we hear often enough preachers or writers talking about the consecration of Jesus, the surrender of Jesus to his duty as a faithful son and savior of the world. And this virtue of, of surrender to me is very compelling. I suppose in our present day, we might think of the life of Queen Elizabeth of England as someone faithful to the duty of surrendering her life to the service of her people. It was on the occasion of her 21st birthday in 1947 that she spoke these words which have since framed her life. She said, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And you know, while it's compelling to consider that over the past 75 years, Elizabeth has been willing to meet the demands that a life of public service require, those demands could never, never meet the depth of service that our Lord and Savior Jesus gave and continues to give, if for no other reason than the testimony of Jesus when he said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. That, of course, cannot be said of the queen. Actually, it couldn't be said of us either. We who enjoy middle-class America have the necessities, uh, although I've been uh, frustrated with the slowness of some items at the grocery store. What a tragedy, what a horror that my favorite coffee creamer has been delayed, and I'm adjusting, um, I'm adjusting. But no, I mean, in our middle-class lives, we have it so nice, and we do think at times like, oh, what great surrender we're having to make in our middle-class lives that things are not as convenient maybe as they once were. When the Son of Man on earth did not have a place to lay his head. And so my goal in this sermon is to bring us face to face with Jesus. And in doing so, I pray that we might see uh, the commitment he has made to serve his people and to bring his people fully into the image, his image. And you know, to remind us that the present reality that we live in is really no different than when Jesus walked with his own disciples. And we should remember that when Jesus came to save the cosmos, when he came to do exactly what we read from Isaiah 65, when he came to do that, he did this in a fully surrendered way by participating with the cosmos. He was not a distant savior who was not in a castle protected by guards and served by a staff. Because if you want to look at verse 45 of Mark 10, the self-testimony of Jesus that even the Son of Man, and that Son of Man is a reference to his deity, that the one who is God on earth, the, the one that Daniel foresaw in his vision as the king who would come, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What kind of king does that except the King of kings and the Lord of lords 
Jesus Christ. He came to be in touch with our need. And he continues to be in touch with our need. For the one who is enthroned today lives to make intercession for his people. He lives to serve his people. But you know, it wasn't just that Jesus got in touch with the need. He did something about it, right? He did something about the need of the cosmos. In fact, he did something about your need and my need. This is why he says to his disciples in uh, verse 32 that we're going to go to Jerusalem. And these are the things that are going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. So, you know, if you go back to chapter number 8, you might remember in that particular sermon that Jesus introduces this line of teaching. In Mark 8, 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and after three days rise again. And you might remember is at that moment that Peter says, oh no, Lord, you can't do that. You can't do that. But from that moment forward, Jesus is making continual reference to Jerusalem and what would be happening at Jerusalem. And Jesus here again tells them that they are going to go with him to Jerusalem. And this is what is going to happen uh, when, they, when they get there. And this insight into how Jesus keeps this reality before his disciples should inform us about the work of the Holy Spirit who has to keep reminding you and me and the church that we also are to go to Jerusalem with Jesus. That we are to meet Jesus where Jesus is to be found. But like Peter and like the disciples, we are all too often reluctant to listen to the promptings and the work of the Holy Spirit to point us to the consecration of Jesus who goes to Jerusalem because our agendas uh, get in the way. And when we went through these lessons back in uh, you know, March and into April, we talked a lot about the agendas found in Mark chapter number 10. People are doing what they want to do, where their interests lie. Their agendas were taking precedence over the agenda of Jesus. But in the midst of it all, Jesus is staying steadfast to the thing his father sent him to do. And I would argue that's not easy. That's not easy. You see, in Mark 10, we, we find religious human agendas everywhere. Just as we find in this room. This morning. Perhaps a, a helpful definition of what uh, the religious human agenda uh, com is comprised of. Reading uh, one of the theologians I tend to read often, Alexander Shememen, he wrote this, Christianity, Christianity, so he's not talking about the world, he's talking about us, Christianity often appears to preach that if people will try hard enough to live as a Christian, 
the crucifixion can somehow be reversed. I'm going to think about that for a moment. That if we just try hard enough to get God to do our agenda the way we think it ought to be done, then somehow we won't need the crucifixion after all. Somehow we can reverse that. Because we can be good enough, pleasing enough, to merit the favor of holy God. And all through Mark 10, we find agendas of people who are thinking that, uh, you know, they can, by their good works and by their own ideas, you know, get, you know, in God's favor. And here the churches today all over the United States of America thinking the same thing. All the things that are out there in the church of the United States, all the privileges that we have, all the opportunities we have, and you put it all together very often what you find, it's just a group of people just trying really hard to make an impression on God, thinking if that somehow God will look on them and think, hey, you're really doing a great job after all. We won't need to go to Jerusalem. We won't need the cross. We won't need to die daily. We won't need to do what Jesus said the second time he brought up Jerusalem with his disciples and then said, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow me. You know, Jesus makes it clear then the only way to rid ourselves of this terrible preoccupation to our trying really hard to please God, the only way to rid ourselves of this is to crucify our agendas. It's to take our agendas and lay them at the foot of the cross and say, oh Jesus, put them to death. That my life might be fully consecrated, Lord, to you. I would suggest that the invitation Jesus is extending to his disciples, they're walking along the road, is being extended to us today. And our willingness to uh, accept this invitation is as critical today as it was when Jesus first gave it. And if there was ever a time when the church needed to follow Jesus again to Jerusalem and to lay down its agendas to be crucified at his feet, if ever there were a time, it's today. When all through the United States of America, churches have all kinds of agendas and many of them have nothing to do with service to the Lord Jesus Christ. If not for our own sakes and the warning of Hebrews 6 taken seriously, how much more for the communities around us that need the church to stand outside of this evil age and speak to it and be the true light of Jesus to it instead of being complicit in it with power and all of the things that the church seems to be running after today. So my question to us as a church, it's pretty straightforward. Are we willing to accept the invitation that Jesus gave? Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. Are we willing to go with him? Today, this morning, right now in this room, and each and every day of our lives, are we willing to accept this invitation? Do we want to know Jesus in this way? Do we want to know the Jesus who invites us 
in, to share in his sufferings that we might then share in his glory. And you know, if, if we are willing, I mean really willing, if we really lay it down at the cross, if we, we will take our agendas and say, put them to death, uh, then what we will find is the joy, the kind of joy that we read about in Isaiah, where, where the cosmos is coming together under the banner and the blessing of God, and we will know that peace and that joy that can be ours as we too are brought into the fullness of the image of Jesus Christ. But the key, of course, is to not to try harder. So I, I, I don't want in any way to suggest in this sermon that we don't have to do anything. But we need to know the thing God has given us to do. And that is to examine who we are as a church, as we are currently, presently positioned in this world, and to lay down all of the things that we thought might happen or should have happened or could have happened or if only this would have happened, and to say, this is who we are, God, and we, we put it at your feet. And we crucify them, and we say, use what's left for your glory. You see, the key is not found in our ability to try harder, but the key is found in meeting the man who is in the middle of all of it, the one who is showing his disciples what is going to happen to him. See, this is what's going to happen to me. And I want you to follow me in these things. So have you come to that Jesus? Have you come to that Jesus? Not the Jesus of your own making, but to this Jesus. And if you've thrown your lot in with him fully. And you see, when you do that, then the agenda items, like are described in this chapter, begin to, you know, just kind of like uh, fade away because they are met by Jesus. You see, he's the one in, in the first nine verses when this big conversation uh, it happens about, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And what does Jesus do? He takes him to the law. What did Moses command you? And, of course, they know the law. They just don't know the power of it. But then Jesus does something that maybe they didn't quite expect. He takes him back before the law, and he says, hey, listen, don't forget, <laughs> this is what God did from the beginning of creation. And you have got to surrender to all that God has done. And not in the way that you want to interpret the scriptures, but into the way that God actually set forth things to be. And again, if the church isn't ready to do this basic task of surrendering itself to what the word of God says about all of these human relationships that we're facing in life, then we're just going to be adrift. I mean, I listen, I know there are a lot of challenges out there. And I know that there are a lot of people under duress with these challenges. But when I heard this last week, and, I, and I'm not saying this is not funny and it's not a joke. This is true. That not only in local school districts in our region, but throughout our nation, that they're not only letting children decide if they want to be a boy or a girl, but now they can be a, an animal and in the classroom, identify as a cat or a dog or a bird, 
And when asked the question, they can bark or meow or tweet. The brokenness of humanity demands the church to sit under God's word and to say, this is the word of God. From the beginning, God has spoken. That won't win us any popularity contest. And oh, let us have compassion on people who are so deeply deceived and broken in their lives that they think it's okay for their kid to go to school dressed up as a cat and meow his or her answer in the classroom. It is the deception of evil. And the church needs to meet Jesus, who would not be deterred for the sake of popularity for speaking clearly concerning God's law into the difficulty of human relationships. And then, of course, when when the disciples want to have a chat about this and want to have a theological conference about it, and they meet with Jesus there in verse number 10, and they ask him again, and he explains more. And then into the middle of that, that theological conference, and I love this setting, a whole bunch of children show up. And the moms are bringing their kids into the room and they're saying, hey, Jesus, bless our kids. And the disciples are like, what are you people doing? we got a theological conference going on. Get out of here. And they start to abuse the women verbally and they start to push the women away. Now let me ask you a question. Last week, do you remember who did Jesus put in the middle of the circle of the disciples? Huh? A child. And how long was it since he did that to this moment when the disciples aren't seeing what Jesus said? Hey, you know what? You want me? You want my father that sent me? A child. And these children are coming. And, and, and Jesus says, hey, listen, you guys, you got the wrong agenda here. You see, the moms had the right agenda. Get our kids to Jesus. So Jesus is not only speaking into the difficulty of human relationships for, you know, from the word, but Jesus would not be quiet when his disciples, even his own disciples, begin to bully mothers who are just wanting to bring their children so that Jesus might touch them and bless them. And then there's this man, beginning in verse 17, who, who, who uh, comes up to Jesus with this question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, again, takes him uh, to the law. What do the commandments say? The guy says, well, here's what I'm doing. Uh, You know, I'm not committing, you know, uh, murder, and I'm not committing adultery, and I'm not stealing, I'm not bearing false witness, I'm not defrauding, I'm honoring my father and mother. The guy's like, yeah, I've done all that stuff. And then Jesus says, well, (laughs) take everything you own (laughs) and sell it. And give it to the poor. And, and the guy says, uh, yeah, no. No. And, and in fact, he's disheartened by this. He's disheartened by this. Why? He had great possessions. Says, Jesus says, listen, you think you've kept the commandments? I'm going to, in one sentence, show you how you haven't. You want Jesus? You want your agenda to be crucified? Then meet Jesus who makes clear what your actual need is, not the need you think you have. Which is very often, you know, what religious people do. Hey, I want eternal life. Look at all the good stuff I've done. You know, one plus one equals two. I get eternal life. And Jesus goes, no. You forgot the first five. 
forgot the first five. And then Jesus uses that opportunity to instruct his disciples that although from a human vantage point things look impossible, all things with God are actually indeed possible. The disciples say, well, who can be saved? Verse 26. And Jesus looked and said, well, with man it's impossible, but not with God. Well, wouldn't you love for the church to lay down its marketing schemes at Calvary and say, just get rid of them. And let's trust in the sovereign grace of God through the ministry of his word to do the work. And then let's wait and see what God will do. You want to meet Jesus? Meet the one who reminds us. With humans, not a lot's going to happen. But with God, all things are indeed possible. And then, and then, of course, uh, you, you get that Peter, right? Peter, love Peter. I uh, just love the guy. He says to him, well, okay, but look at we've left everything and we followed you. What's going to happen to us? You know, and that's not entirely a bad question, right? Because we are promised reward. We are promised the blessing. And it's okay to say to God sometimes, God, what's going on? And God reminds us, Jesus reminds us here, he's the one that comes in and assures us that our sacrifice for the work of his kingdom will not be forgotten. God is not unjust to forget our labor of love, which we have given in his name. And I know it's difficult sometimes, right? Well, look at all that we've tried to do in the name of the Lord, and look at where we are today, what's going on. And I would just say to you what Jesus said to his disciples Everyone who has given up will receive. Many who are first will be last. Last will be first. But the key is for me not to try to force that issue. For me to try not to discount going to Jerusalem because I want God to do things the way I want God to do them. You want to meet Jesus? Meet the one who doesn't say these things from the convenience of a castle. Well-staffed. Well-supplied. Big bank accounts. Meet the one who says these things in the harshness of the reality of life. Meet the one who says these things in the loneliness of life. Meet the one who says these things having experienced the deprivations of life. Physically, rejected emotionally, will be abused physically, spit on, mocked, treated cruelly. Are you ready to meet that Jesus? Are we as a church ready to meet that Jesus? When I taught Mark 10, I noted that although the disciples were invited to go with Jesus to Jerusalem, it's important to remember that they did not go with Jesus out of Jerusalem. He made that journey alone. He made that journey alone. In other words, they would go with him and personally experience what is the most important week in human history. But when the time was fulfilled for Jesus to bear the sins, your sin, my sin, on the cross, Jesus would do it alone. And the crucifixion of Jesus, when religion and government come together, empowered by evil, they put Jesus to death. And they think, oh good, we're done with him. 
But this final act by Jesus, a culmination of the many things that Jesus had already done, for he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And there is Jesus, and I, I try to keep this image in my mind when I, when I remember I'm supposed to go meet him. I'm supposed to go and meet him. He's there, admit the absurdities of life. He's in the middle of the chaos. He's in the middle of the brokenness, hanging naked on a cross, bearing our shame. Do you, I mean, have we forgotten what an absurd thing it is for holy God to hang on a cross bearing our sins and the rest of the world just kind of like muddling by, making fun of him, mocking him, abusing him. And the church has to really grapple with these things, don't we? Meeting the Jesus in Mark 10 is, I would suggest, is no easy thing. But, you know, I am encouraged by it. I'm encouraged by the many responses in our church to the actual Jesus of the Scriptures. And I'm encouraged to see how Jesus is taking hold of you and many of you in your lives and and your commitment and, and your consecration to Him and your love for Him is growing. And I'm encouraged by that. And I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is at work and it is a wonderful, beautiful thing to see, and yet I know that there are some who are still reluctant to throw themselves entirely onto Jesus. To throw themselves entirely onto Jesus. Our pedestrian, kind of middle class concerns keep us, right? Keep us. I don't know if I really want to go to a church picnic. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to sit on an East Field. Oh, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to do that, you know? Say, ah, I gotta go watch my favorite show or whatever it is we do, you know? Right? But you know, if you haven't thrown in your full lot with Jesus, that can change today. That can change today. You can, you can look up and say, oh God, I don't know what this all means, but I'm going. I'm going with you to Jerusalem. Here we go, Lord. I'm following you all the way. You know, you'll find along with other disciples, like, hey, you're going too. You're going. You mean you're going? Yeah, we're all going. We're going together. Turkey towns, heading to Jerusalem. Let's go. Let's lay our lives down for the Lord. Hey, don't assume that you'll be able to do it later. Don't assume you'll be able to do it later. We don't know if, if the man who thought he had kept all the commandments came back or not. He might have come back. He might have come back. But then again, his wealth might have held him away from Jesus forever. Don't think you have this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow. Don't assume there will be a time later to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. If the Spirit is speaking to your heart now, give it all to Him. Well, when I was young and began to understand this invitation, I took Jesus up on it. I took Jesus up on it. And you know, my, dis my discipleship has been imperfect at best. At best, you might call it imperfect. 
Does you know who's been perfect each step of the way? Is the man in the middle, the one I met. The one I was told about as a kid and as a teenager, I said, I'm, I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow. I don't think God's impressed with my commitment. I'm not even impressed with my commitment. But oh, am I ever impressed with the commitment of Jesus to me and to us and to his church. Did Jesus do it just for me? Well, maybe so. He did it for you. I know that. And he's doing it for us. So let me close. Let me take you back over the pond. Queen Elizabeth and her devotion to her people, is it to be admired? Yes. Emulated? Yes, I believe so. But you know, among the many limitations of her service... We might think of this one. Her service is temporary. And it is to a temporary realm. But the service Jesus gave is eternal. And it is an eternal kingdom into which he invites us. A kingdom that will have no end. For he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And we come into that kingdom through repentance for our sins and faith in his completed work. We do not come bearing our, you know, uh, merits and saying, here, God, take them. We say only Jesus, Jesus alone. And I pray that we might find then his strength and his courage to actively participate in the work of his kingdom. Will you die to self today? Will you live to Jesus today? Will some of you do what you said you'd do in your baptism? Right? Crucified in the likeness of his death, raised up in the likeness of his resurrection. I pray that the Spirit of God might move freely, powerfully in our lives as we have some time for quietness, preparing ourselves for the table of our Lord, that we might be ready then to give faithful service to the great cause, the greatest cause of Jesus our King. Amen. Now, Father, I pray in these moments of, of quietness that your people would indeed be ready. Be ready, O oh Lord, I pray, to come to this table lives consecrated to you. And I pray for any who are not yet clear on what it means to be a Christian. I pray, O oh Lord, that this morning your spirit might visit them and bring them to the true reality of faith. Let's be quiet before the Lord and we'll prepare our hearts. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. 
For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.